Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. As you know, uh, a few days ago in Berkeley, California, a memorial celebration was held to honor the life and work of Sasha Shulgin. A few days before the memorial was to take place, I got a call from my longtime friend in New York, Wild Bill Radizinski, and he was calling to ask if I was going to be there. When I told him that I wasn't going to make it, he said, well, he was still thinking about going, even at this late hour. And the reason he found the upcoming event so compelling, as he said, is, this is going to be the last great gathering of all the old heads from the 60s until now. The old guard's fading. There's never going to be another one like this. Never again. And you know, he was absolutely right about that. So he got me thinking about uh, what it would be like to be there in the middle of, well, close to a thousand psychedelic heads, all of whom already knew and loved Sasha. Actually, it just blows me away just to think about it. But I wasn't going to be able to make it myself, and so I did the next best thing. I convinced my good friend, Bruce Damer, who I knew would be going, to uh, just turn on his recorder whenever he was talking to somebody and ask them what Sasha meant to them. You know, uh, sort of a man-on-the-street kind of thing. Now, if you've ever been to a large conference, you know that the background din of a thousand voices, uh, well, it can be kind of loud. <laughs> but that's the real beauty of what we're about to hear, because Bruce did a really good job of bringing us the true flavor of the event. And what I've done now is to put together a few of my favorite interviews and then to follow that with a brief selection of uh, a few of the talks that were given during the service itself. And if you want to watch the entire ceremony, it's still available to watch online at ustream.tv. And I'll put a link to it in the program notes for this podcast, which, uh, as you know, you can get to via psychedelicsalon.us. You really ought to check it out and uh, watch some of the video segments in it, uh, particularly the alchemy segment at the beginning. In fact, during the event, besides uh, watching it on Ustream with over 400 other people, I also noticed that uh, shortly after the alchemy video was shown, that Connie Littlefield tweeted a link to that video, and uh, I'll try to remember to embed it in today's program notes as well. Now, one of the labels that academics have attached to our species is Homo faber, man the maker, or more specifically, man the tool maker. Sasha always considered himself to be primarily a tool maker, and in my opinion, Sasha is the greatest tool maker that our species of tool makers has ever produced. Okay, this is this is Bill Radzinski. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, right, close enough. You are a friend of Lorenzo Haggerty's. Yeah. And he told me to find you and ask you the question because he wants to uh, do a, a series of voices in the Salon podcast. Yeah. Uh, what did Sasha Shulgin mean to you? It was like a spirit. I, the closest thing I could say is like a spiritual grandfather. A spiritual grandfather. Yeah. Um, matter of fact, you know, I, I can't think of him without thinking of Anne. It's, and as a couple, it was like having spiritual grandparents. And 
He was just a, he was just a lovely man. He was a mensch. He was a mensch. Yeah, he was a mensch. And he had the worst jokes in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they were, they were, oh, dreadful, dreadful jokes. And we all loved them and we're going to miss them. Yeah. Uh, he was, he was just an inspiration. He's, he's, making, he's making jokes to the very end. I mean, constant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine his. Uh, when did you first meet him? Uh, Palenque. Um, oh, in the uh, 90s? Yeah, back in uh, 97, actually, was the first time I, I, I met the man. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know a damn thing about chemistry. Flunked it three times and twice in high school. <laughs> uh, but uh, made things quite clear. He was a great teacher. He was a good teacher. <laughs> I had a reasonably good understanding of what was going on after I spent a couple hours with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so you came so out from, from New York for this? Yeah, it was... Uh, Wednesday, I said, you know, I, I cannot not go. Right. You know, I've been out of the loop for quite a while, and so I don't even know what was coming on until someone called me. You know, your team Shogun yeah. Evolution hat, too. It was, like at the, it was like at the last minute, and I said, you know, I cannot not go because I will, for, I'm going to, when I leave this plane, I'm going to leave with some regrets. I've lived a pretty full life, but hmm. that's one regret I don't want to deal with. Right. And, uh, I owe it to the man to show up. And many of us couldn't be there in his last months, but we can be yeah. here today. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's been rough. We, we lost uh, we lost Zalman Shatter, mm-hmm. the uh, the uh, the rabbi. Mm-hmm. Um, he's gone, and uh, it's you know, well, it's just that that time. Yeah, yeah it's that time today. We have to we have to slip shot into the 21st century and create the new the new one. Yeah, the new yeah. yeah. And today We'll have all these making space for the new people, yeah. And there's beautiful new people, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the uh, minions of Sasha, yeah, minions yeah. of Sasha. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see who turns up to yeah. Well, thank, Quite a guy. thank you, Bill. And you want to say anything to Lorenzo because I'll send this to him, Lorenzo. I brought my small camera, I'll take a couple of pictures, I'll try to get you some shots. Okay, great, thank you, right. thank you, Bill. I would, yeah, sure. I would, uh, I would love to attempt to give him some material. JP, how's it going? Hey, hey. I unfortunately never had the pleasure of meeting the man, um, but I, there's no. Uh, it, it's impossible for me to describe how big an effect he's had on my life, and um, I believe that he was a. Uh, he was a genius and uh, a man with an amazing heart to follow. Uh, the path of truth for the rest of us. us. Yeah, and um, I can't even express how much appreciation I have for that. And I was really hoping for the day to express that to him in person, but I feel that I was not able to. You're ushering all of us in to his service. Yes, I'm, I, and I when when I found out about the service, there was absolutely no way I was going to miss it. So we traveled from Las Vegas to come here. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah. Wow. Wow. So this is uh, hopefully how I can express my appreciation for the man. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Great, thank you. Oh, no, my you pleasure. I'm Trip. Trip. So I'll put that into the record. So Lorenzo, this is a, a wonderful recounting of how Sasha influenced Trip, or the Trip influenced Sasha, actually, now. <laughs> thank you. And, and thank you, Lorenzo, for everything you do. Uh, you're, uh, you're a huge hero of mine, and uh, I really appreciate the Psychedelic Salon. Great. Uh, name? Celestine yes. Star. And what did Sasha Shulgin mean to you? 
He meant friendship. He meant my consciousness awakening. Uh, he meant love, laughter. He was so true a person you could really trust. So he meant the deepness of uh, family and friendship and community and, uh, you know, just his offerings and uh, very delightful awakenings with his elixirs. <laughs> I mean, I, the man was a courageous chemist. The man was a courageous chemist. Yes, yes, you know. But his, I mean, if you actually listen, okay, what I have gotten from listening to and, and reading the things he had to say, like everybody will say, oh, Shulgin, yes, uh, he pioneered MDMA or something. But he was not all that keen on on being thought of as the pioneer. I mean, he wasn't even the pioneer. Right. It's, it's like acid or something. Somebody had come up with it, and he kind of like rediscovered it and said, hey, you know, this could be useful like this and then therapists who were friends of his said hey you're right um, but for him it was just an investigation you know uh, he was uh, a diligent researcher bringing data forth for the public to chew upon uh, and I, I didn't really see him as a campaigner for the underground uh, even though he was adopted by it and and being a wonderful person you know it turned out to be like that how did he uh, go, go ahead well you know I, I, I I'll just put a little slight different twist on that you know and I think you know one of the things that we notice with the important people important creative dynamic brilliant people is that everybody's got a sort of a different angle a different take on them and I, I didn't I wasn't intimately familiar with him you know we were all through whatever karmic connections or whatever we're, we're all we all end up spending time with different teachers I didn't spend a lot of time with him but if you're part of this community you can't help but be aware of how important he is just as one of the elders but it always seemed to me he was very much into that that persona that got created I mean had those dinners those parties and you know all, all the freaks all the intelligent you know intellectual you know high functioning freaks would, would be there how did he affect you guys personally how did he affect your life personally directly or indirectly well you know, I, I go to MDM I mean, I don't know. Would, MDMA would not be part of the community scene if it wasn't for him. Whatever his role it was uh-huh. in getting that out there, and that certainly changed my life. You know, in terms of how I function as a psycho-emotional human being. Right. Right. It rewired your gears. <laughs> yes. Took them out, put them back in a different order. Yeah. Well, I, I did with his assistance, or however, however you want to look at that. You know what I was thinking of is is like there are some actors who have become particularly identified with a single role that they tore up, but they themselves never thought of it as their as what they really wanted their career to be about. It's a bigger picture they were holding. Right. I mean, like, I don't know. Um, Jeremy Brett became best known for his portrayal of Sherlock Holmes in the BBC television series, but he always thought of himself primarily as a hoofer, and his favorite role is the supportive 
role he did in My Fair Lady. So, um, so he'll say, yes, yes, I did this Holmes thing and it was all very nice, but my real heart, you know, was, or, or like Cagney, was again a dancer and a, and a showman, but he became known as like a criminal, a gangster. Yeah, well, it's, a, movie it's, a good, it's a good analogy. I mean, I think ultimately, you know, he was just an elder that, you know, by who he was, he influenced any situation he was part of because of the, you know, the, the wisdom and compassion that he brought to the moment. I think of him as a, a modern, one of the very few modern alchemists, an, a, ma- a magician plus a chemist plus a spiritual being. Something timeless in that. And, and uh, I, I feel very fortunate that I got to see his laboratory. And, uh, and that captured so much of what you're describing, I think. Um, <laughs> I only saw it in the movie. I missed oh, going yeah, there. Yeah. That's definitely the alchemist. Like, Thank you, gentlemen. There's another two, two good old friends here saying hello to the, to the Salon podcast. Okay, kind of a weird twist. I mean, how sausage changed my life is uh, he wrote a paper in 1971 to do with terpene and the, the, the composition of terpenes. And I found that paper. And at that time, you weren't able to isolate those terpenes in that form. But now you are. So that that, that, that became, ir- it was irrelevant until we, we uh, separated them in the composition that we have today. So it's kind of a fascinating thing because I, I, I told Sasha, hey, you know, he's smelling my bottle of terpenes. And I was saying, you know, really helped that that paper that you wrote in 1971 about terpene isolation he said to me i wrote a paper on terpene isolation i said sir you've forgotten more than i'll ever know and that's my quote uh, you are ken morrow ken morrow so this is from ken here a, a real chemistry recollection of sasha which is what we need yes it was incredible incredible to meet the man i met him through paul daly and it was just such an honor and a pleasure to meet him thank you very much how did Sasha Shulgin change my life? Well, I, to be honest, I don't know very much about Sasha Shulgin, but I'm indeed sure that he changed my life. Well, I know he's associated with MDMA, and I took MDMA, and I think he changed my life peripherally, actually, because all of the people who he affected a change in consciousness through all the novel the tryptamines and phenethylamines and I I don't know I, I so he changed the whole like scene the ecosystem whole, the ecosystem of consciousness yeah and, and, and for me uh, he's my son so he's the one who has a lot of appreciation for these things and he had intrigue about the spirituality and all of that so sometimes you know it's not easy to feel and find mm-hmm. and with certain things you know you just kind of see some amazing things which make you a believer kind of so he was telling me that um, mom it, it helped a lot of people you know address a lot of inner issues and and connecting to God which they wouldn't be you know just, right. just hearing and thinking and all of that so so you know it's wow. just because of I him I am here I get to see you. <laughs> and, and believe in a lot more things than just the traditional kind of you know right. ways of right. living and understanding things and so. your names are my name is Amit Tripathi and this is my mom Asha Tripathi yeah. and onward to your would you care to I'm Fleet Montgomery. Right, we, we, we. and uh, we go way back. You know, many, 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 many years ago, just changed my attitude about everything in the world, mm. and basically opened a 
portals in my conscious mind and unconscious mind to experience new things and uh, and perceive things in a different way and in a way that really changed my life forever there was a whole part of a whole subculture of people that were opening the, the different spots of our mind and our unconscious and our conscious minds to understand new ways of looking at things and it crossed over to everything in my life and here that group is all here are a big chunk of the ones that are still alive are here today <laughs> yeah yeah are here straight from the hog farm to here right right sure enough I mean the hog farm is where some of this was going on well I was the uh, this, the other side of that the uh, merry pranksters and uh, part of that whole group way back in the the dawn of it with the uh, Hagen and Baps and Mountain Girl and Zonker and you know and King Kesey and Neil Cassidy in the 60s you know so and then they kind of cross and cross reference with everybody from the hog farm and you know Sasha was active that whole time and, and he's one of the last people that was from that era because you just mentioned a number of names of people who are gone right yeah yeah I was a little I was a kid and everybody was older than me <laughs> hanging out with all those people <laughs> and it's you know the magic is still going on in our hearts and our minds you know it's just a, a power of love and power of conscious consciousness that's prevailed and opened a lot of other people's minds to new ways of looking at things beautiful thank you thank you Pete. good to see you good to see you again all right you were talking about the Friday night dinners. And uh, I used to, I went to the Friday night dinners in Marin for about 10 years, and he was always there. He was amazing, but mostly I was interested that he uh, was doing all this research on drugs and so on that I thought, too, were very valuable. And it frustrates me that, that like, it'll be mainstream after he's gone, you know, it's too too bad. That's really the irony of the whole thing. And I thought he was always doing brilliant work. And he was a true gentleman, right, at the dinners. Oh, absolutely lovely and charming and nice to strangers and not affected or snotty. Yeah, they all were. Everybody was very warm and embracing people. Uh, those Friday night dinners sound like they were very important. Uh, for well, the I think they were. Uh, I've only been here about 20 years, but in the 10 years before that, like 30 years, the people, I think, who went, there was no other place to go to say, okay, this is the value of these drugs, apart from the people who were doing a lot of drugs, was a different story. But there was a handful of people who either were researchers or who paid for research. There was that guy from Microsoft who paid for a lot of work that these people were doing and then he died and after he died it kind of changed a little and you are Sherry Miller I live in Tiburon I'm a painter with a studio in Sausalito oh okay Uh, J.B. Porter um uh, I knew Sasha for the last three years. Um, I helped out at the ranch, clean up uh, through the maps people, and uh, 
I got a couple of afternoons. I got to sit down with the man and just uh, ask him questions and stuff that I'd always wondered about. He cleared up a lot of good stuff. A lot of things I had no idea about. He just kind of filled in the blanks. And I got an amazing sense of humor and some musical and. Right. What do you say about a lantern? But, but he's, he's the neatest guy in the world. You know, he just, you know, he could just sit down. He could talk to anybody. Wow. That just sums it up. Just wow. Wow. I mean, the guy was, uh, he's done so much for our culture. And uh, his books are going to be around uh, for hundreds of years. And we're going to just enjoy them. And, uh he just he said what he had to say and uh, put all the information out there which he thought was very important so I think uh, I, I just love the guy he was he was the man well thank thank you JB there Jonathan Slot Phillips uh, Psychonaut Productions Electric Jesus uh, book and the question of the hour is, what did Sasha mean to you? Oh, my God. Sasha is like the original psychonaut. Like, not only did he make these incredible compounds, he actually took the journeys himself, which I'm really impressed with. And I think he had a lot of courage and honor with that. And on top of that, I know that ecstasy is like his problem child a little bit. He views it that way, but... For those who have read my book, I would not be on my spiritual journey. I would not be an energy healer. I would not have a whole new life if it weren't for MDMA. So I'm super thankful for Shasha. Okay, there you have it. Any words for Lorenzo? Hey, Lorenzo. Uh, Thanks so much. I love your podcast, and I really appreciate you putting up that Vancouver Electric Jesus uh, reading. I thought it was pretty ballsy and awesome. Thanks, man. This is, this is MJ. How did Sasha change your life? Sasha Shulgin. Uh Well, I think before I learned about Sasha, um, I had wanted to be a chemist growing up, but as I got older, I started to get the impression that what chemists did was manipulate oil into a bunch of new poisons, <laughs> and I didn't want any part of it, so I went to art school. Um, but then I, in art school, I, I saw Pical and I started to learn about Sasha, and it, it kind of, it, it not only like reinvigorated my my kind of passion for chemistry, but but I actually started to, with the help of some of his tools, I started to think that it wasn't such a there was there wasn't as many barriers uh, to being a chemist as I thought, and I quit art school and I got my foot in the door at an environmental lab doing field work and then eventually running their mobile GC mass spec and I mean it changed my life I had a 10 year run with analytical chemistry and wow I mean that I would have never never gone back to that dream and and then you hung out with Sasha in the last few years yeah and then I met him in 2011 and on January 4th somebody invited me to the party and he wasn't doing well at that time uh he had just gotten over his stroke, and um, he had his dementia was increasing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and, uh, yeah. 
and I had just gone through the whole thing with with uh, what happened to Robert Anton Wilson, where I was just devastated that somebody who was so important to so many people, so many people point to Robert Anton Wilson's book, and at the end of his life, he's like having to sell off his possessions and his rings, and his, and I just I made the decision that day that we're going to do something, and we pretty much did. And thank you so much for what you've done for Sasha. And it was the community, you know. I mean, the idea was there, and and uh, as soon as we decided to just start talking about it nonstop, I mean, the community all over the world really helped. This guy Lacken Bell in Australia. I mean, he single-handedly doubled or tripled the intake from our online auctions. Wow, you did. And, you guys did a fantastic thing. Yeah, and then we found this guy in Prague who had his life kind of changed by uh, Sasha, and he happened to be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. And he came over and, and helped pay off a lot of Sasha's medical bills about a month wow. before he died. Really, really wonderful. I mean, and absolutely and, wonderful. You know, it was it was amazing. It was amazing. You're so proud of everybody. As soon as, as soon as we start talking about it, everyone wanted to help. Yeah, Dennis Berry. We saw John. Maybe we we are. It's a phenomenal group. Hi! Hi, it's great. I'm glad you guys are here. Yes. Oh, I am too. It's been way too long. It's been way Four too whole long, weeks. yeah. <laughs> Four whole weeks. Priyasi. Priyasi. And Tulio. Tulio. And what did Sasha Shulgin mean to you? Wow. <laughs> That's it. This is Paul Daly and Scott Bodarki. And this is for the Psychedelic Salon podcast. He's putting a collage of voices together about Sasha. And he wanted to know the one question is how did Sasha change your life? Well, I'm going to be uh, speaking here in a little bit. And uh, uh, I've got it worked out. Sasha and I met 36 years, nine months, and I think six days ago. And although uh, I didn't work with him continuously, for anywhere near all of that uh, I think he kind of immediately validated that, that my interest in psychedelics and my interest in psychedelic science was a totally legitimate valued and, and uh, desired uh, course of study and um, it, was, it was just one of the, the great pleasures of my life to have been able to work with him and, and uh, in at least some way uh, carry on a bit of his work so it changed my life quite a lot Thank you Paul and and Scott? Uh, well, I guess I'd have to say that uh, psychedelics and, and pathogens cracked open the shell of ego for me uh, to reveal that we're not simply this sort of structuralized personality navigating through a landscape of objects, that there is rather more to the story than There's just that. The mm-hmm. So per, per, when did you meet Sasha first, personally? I guess I met Sasha in 2000. So you had a, uh, you've had about a 12 year, 13, 14 year uh, relationship with him off and on. Yes. Yeah. I met him, I think, uh, first around that time. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. 
met him in Palenque. In Palenque, yeah. Uh, great by the pool in Palenque. Indeed. Yeah. Which is where uh, Lorenzo met all of you guys. Uh, in Palenque in 99 is 98, I think, his, his first. Yeah, I don't think that's where I met Lorenzo, but I can't actually say where I met him. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, met, I met him later in 2003. That was kind of my, my coming out party. I had been kind of hide, hiding my light under a bushel uh, from the early 80s until 2003. But uh, at the 2003 Mind States, my my divorce went final, and uh, I, I cracked open my egg of uh, your cosmic egg got psychedelic interest. Yeah. Yeah, I, okay. <laughs> well, there you go, Lorenzo. Uh, two old friends. Another appreciation of uh, Alexander Sasha Shulgin. And we are now walking into this incredible Berkeley Community Theater, getting ourselves seated for this uh, memorial service for Sasha. Paul Daly, chemist and longtime friend of the family. Good afternoon. 36 years, nine months and six days ago, I was a newly minted graduate student starting my PhD program here at Berkeley. I read in the Berkeley Bar about a conference that was going to take place in Washington State, the second international conference on hallucinogenic mushrooms. I didn't even think there that such conferences existed, but I figured I had to be there. So I drove myself up, and on a Friday evening, the first social gathering of this meeting, got my glass of cheap red wine, walked up to the first three gentlemen that I saw standing there. The one in the middle stood out like a beacon on fire. Tall, skinny gentleman, wild shock of gray hair, and a big, toothy grin. Well, he introduced himself as Alexander Komi Sasha Shulgin. And he changed my life very fundamentally. I may have not have not have had a, a continuous relationship with him, but I had many, many hours where I could watch him answering questions, talking to people who thronged to see the great Dr. Shulgin. He taught me a great deal about how to be as a scientist, how to be as someone who sought truth. I was very, very fortunate in his later years, to be able to work with him a bit more closely, to help him with writing projects, to help restore his lab and bring it back to life. And it breaks my heart that we're missing him now. But somehow, it seems that Sasha Shulgin is out tripping in the cosmos somewhere. And somehow, I also have the feeling that I'll be running into him again and I'll probably recognize him in whatever form he's taken. So I just want to let Sasha know, keeping my eye out. Scott Badarki, Shulgin Legacy Project. Sasha Shulgin was, perhaps, the last Renaissance man. Citizen scientist working in a shed out in the yard, fueled by his curiosity, the love of the truth. The fruits of his labor revealed how much we do not understand. Like Socrates and Galileo before him, 
He penetrated deeply enough into the mystery to reveal that we are not as solid as we seem. When our cherished illusions are threatened, the psyche experiences anxiety and responds with repression, the ego's attempt to manufacture safety. Sasha was after the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The fall from Eden is commonly misconstrued. Only by eating the fruit of duality do we enter the phenomenal world. This is no sin, but rather the necessary prerequisite for human existence. The truth is, we are in Eden still, for there is no place outside the garden of God. The ego is the vehicle through which the divine may live in the world. The human being is a peculiar animal, the one who forgets what it is. We need the ego to live in the world, but we become lost inside it, and our anxiety prevents us from seeing this. Sasha's work was about catalyzing the deepest longing of the human heart, to know itself. Sasha's allegiance was to the truth. He served no other master. Every human being must undergo ego death, at physical death, if not before. Sasha systematically developed technology dedicated to facilitating this evolution. Perhaps one day, pharmacological self-determination will be a human right. Charlie Grobe, psychiatrist and psychedelic researcher. Over the last 25 years, I've had many opportunities to meet with Sasha and to appreciate his enormous contributions to our field and to the lives of countless beneficiaries of his remarkable discoveries and insights. While not the original discoverer of MDMA, he was the first to appreciate its vast potential as an adjunct and facilitator of a distinctly novel form of psychotherapy. Sasha's introduction of MDMA to his friend and retired psychotherapist Leo Zeff in 1976 and his landmark 1978 article on the human pharmacology of MDMA, co-authored with David Nichols, catalyzed a wave of scientific and lay interest in the range of effects of phenethylamine compounds that persist to this present day. Over these many years, I have found Sasha a great source of inspiration and a courageous role model for speaking the truth and challenging politically motivated and often dishonest and deceptive scientific gospel. While the generations that follow Sasha will surely miss his genius, his creativity, and his remarkable sense of humor, the world will be a richer place for the many contributions he has made. Maria Vittoria Mangini, scientist, teacher, and friend of the family. Lots of speakers today have talked about Sasha's playfulness. He enjoyed laughter himself. He could instigate laughter in others, and sometimes at the expense of others if they were particularly pompous. Sasha loved jokes and wordplay and was a collector of palindromes. He also knew a great many limericks and wrote quite a few, like this one. When Lady Chatterley swoons, her breasts pop up like balloons. But her butler stands by with hauteur in his eye and pops them back in with warm spoons.
Another favorite humor style was the paraprosdokian, a kind of inside-out wordplay. I told my doctor that I broke my arm in two places. He told me not to go to those places. <laughs> I've had a wonderful evening. Unfortunately, this wasn't it. <laughs> Sasha had the excellent talent of delivery with diversion, and he loved to catch us off guard. Gandhi walked barefoot most of the time, which produced an impressive set of calluses on his feet. He also ate very little, which made him rather frail, and with his odd diet, he suffered from bad breath. This made him a super-calloused, fragile mystic hexed by halitosis. <laughs> Sasha could synthesize something that had never existed anywhere in the universe before, find out what it does, and bring back the results for their potential benefit to the community, and do it with wit. Every natural fact is a symbol of some spiritual fact. This gathering has been a remarkable mixture of the public and the private, the worldly and the sacred, the revealed and the concealed. Some of us have told stories that have been previously held secret. But during the course of Sasha's lifetime, there have been remarkable and radical shifts on what is or can be said about the use of his discoveries. Although conservatism has dominated decades of electoral politics, it has not been able to entice the genie of pluralism back into the bottle. According to some, attaching disgrace to psychedelic drug use is a hidden keystone of the campaign to smear the entire range of liberatory idealism that decades ago gave hope, heart, and character to my generation. Whether or not this is so, the concept that taking psychedelic drugs could be benign and even beneficial has been politically extremely unpopular in recent American history although it has been a popular view for, my, for millennia. Still, many of us know that the insights, ideals, and commitments that we brought home from psychedelic experience have contributed to our formation as socially responsible, ethical, and humane citizens. While there may be a discrepancy between the ideals and insights that we connect to our psychedelic experiences and the values and commitments that structure our everyday lives, I suspect that for many of us, our ethics, our spiritual beliefs, and our daily practices have been formed by the insights derived from our psychedelic experiences. I know that mine certainly have. In my research, experienced users of psychedelic drugs related to me their experiences of interconnectedness with nature, with the deity, and with others. And many describe how these experiences have led them to engage in political activism, to take up philanthropy, to undertake ecological restoration, or to enter public service. Their psychedelic experiences did not encourage these people to turn away from social responsibilities, but seemed to have moved them to become more involved in caring for the community and for the natural environment. As a group, I feel us to be culturally and politically vital. If, as I suspect is true, 
Our psychedelic experiences have had lifelong implications, not only for our personal growth and our spiritual development, but also for our community involvement and our political activism. We should stand up and claim those experiences as influential in our lives. And we have not even to make the journey alone. Because the heroes of all time have gone before us. And where we had thought to find an abomination, we will find a god. And where we had thought to slay another, we will slay ourselves. And where we had thought to travel outwardly, we will travel to the center of our own existence. And where where we had thought to be alone, we will be with all the world. Thank you. Earth and Fire Arrowhead. Friends of the Family. It, it seems a little unfair to go last um, with the crying and such. <laughs> uh, we've had the honor of knowing Sasha and Anne for almost 20 years. And when we were asked to say some words today, uh, a few memories jumped to mind to share. Uh, one was that uh, Sasha was really a very gracious celebrity. We first met Sasha and Anne at the Entheobotany Conference in 1996 in San Francisco. And we had just started Arrowhead about a year earlier. We were super excited to meet the authors of Pakal. It was a bit of a chaotic scene as we joined with other young drug geeks clustering around Dr. Shulgin to talk about psychoactive chemistry, pharmacology, and experience, and he happily chatted with anyone who approached him, drawing dirty pictures, answering questions, and of course making puns. But despite just being the center of attention and one of the stars of the show, he engaged each person, focusing his attention on their questions and becoming genuinely interested in what they were saying. Earth and I have frequently discussed in the years since how graciously both Sasha and Anne handled talking to excited fans, often answering the same questions repeatedly year Year after year, year after year, with patience and humor, and they became role models for us in how to talk with audiences and fans of Arrowhead. Another another thing that really comes to mind when we think of uh, Sasha and and Anne together is how, how they worked as a team. At at that same Entheobotany conference, I nervously, I was so nervous, approached Sasha and asked him to sign my copy of Pecal. I think he was the first author I ever asked to sign a book. And his response was that I should ask Anne to sign it first and then come back and get him to sign it. And although the meaning of that gesture might be lost on some people, it was really striking for me. As a part of a couple that works as a team, I had already experienced people assuming that Earth as the male was the lead of the project, and Sasha's response to my request for his for his signature showed me that he and Anne were committed to working as a team, as Earth and I do. Sasha was really a, a dedicated teacher. Um, when we met Sasha, we were just in our early 20s, and he was 70. Uh, at the time, our knowledge of chemistry and pharmacology was pretty limited. But over the past 20 years, as we attended social gatherings and presented at conference together with uh, Anne and Sasha around the world, Sasha was always extremely generous with the time, with his time and knowledge. In fact, I often joke that everything I know about chemistry I learned from Sasha drawing dirty pictures in the air. Sa- Sasha was extremely generous in that he always, he was always making himself available to us, uh, whether to answer chemistry questions by phone or email or uh, having lunch with us at their house, uh, where we had wide-ranging discussions about politics and pharmacology and or if he, he was offered to sign books or posters to help fundraise for Arrowhead. And we're, we're also immensely grateful for Sasha and Ann's willingness to help us, uh, to allow us to help them archive some of the notebooks and materials of Sasha's uh, from, from his lab work. Perhaps most important to the wider community, they also offered their home and uh, 
created other spaces as a meeting place for drug geeks and people who are interested in the topics. They've acted as a community hub for people interested in all aspects of psychedelics and pathogens, whether technical, recreational, or spiritual. My father always uh, said to me that in order to stay fully connected to the world, you need to keep, uh, keep and make friends of all ages. That uh, there always needs to be an, uh, an array of array of ages that uh, you know some people at. Uh, and and gatherings at the children's home always included an amazing array of students, teachers, professionals, researchers, and policymakers from young to old. And since we've met Sasha and Ann 20 years ago, we've been thrilled to move ourselves from being acquaintances to junior colleagues to friends. And we'll miss you, Sasha. Mm-hmm. We love you, Ann. David Presti, neurobiologist and longtime friend. Hi, I'd, I'd like to offer another riff on Sasha's science. So most discoveries in science occur when there's a, a confluence of knowledge and technology that make it ripe for them to happen. If such and such a person hadn't discovered something, then somebody else probably would have sometime soon. Some discoveries are different, though. Uh, like Albert Einstein in general relativity. If he hadn't thought of this, it's a good chance nobody else would have. And if Sasha had not done the work he did, it's likely that a vast landscape of pharmaceutical chemistry would have gone un- undiscovered, uncharted. Sasha's work is, by all objective criteria, worthy of the very highest academic honors, Nobel Prize kind of stuff. But such honors are impossible as we struggle as a society to learn how to balance the complexities that are stirred up by the power of psychedelics. What's true is this. Some kinds of work are simply too big for universities, for government research institutes, and for industries, impressive as these institutions are. Sasha's work was like this. It was too big to be done in a multi-million dollar laboratory. It instead required an alchemist's den, a courageous spirit, a careful focus of intention, and a goodly dose of mystical insight. Then the stuff of legend happened. Thank you, Sasha. Tanya and Greg Manning. Team Shogun. Hello, everyone. It's so great to be here on stage with Sasha's more prickly friends. I was so blessed that Wendy fell in love with Jason because I was able to take over her job and start working for Sasha about ten and a half years ago. Every morning he would greet me with a cup of coffee and a smile as we enjoyed classical music playing in the background. His childlike curiosity for discovery was contagious It was one of the things that made him a great teacher and scientist. He was incredibly passionate about his work, but when Anne walked in the room, he would drop everything and ask, what can I do for you, my love? And then they would have their kiss of the morning. A couple of years later, Sasha and Anne invited us to live at the farm. I will always remember him putting his arm around Greg and saying, you are family now. We were completely honest with one another. He was the greatest boss, teacher, and one of the best friends I ever had. His desire to connect and play with people made it so fun to be with him, 
as he held court at conferences, events, and parties. Sasha and Anne taught me how to make friends with my shadow and deepen my understanding of the world around me and within me. Thank you all for helping us take such good care of Sasha. Your support made a huge difference. Sasha's spirit and legacy live on, and on lives the tribe. Thank you. We are all here because Sasha had a very personal and intimate effect on our lives. And we are grateful. Tanya and I have been blessed with the privilege of living on the farm with Sasha and Ann. And we are so very grateful. And boy, do we have some stories to tell. I remember the first time Sasha took me out to the lab and instructed me to sit down and describe my thoughts as he opened a succession of test tubes for me to smell. He asked me if I believed that those thoughts and memories and feelings came from within those test tubes. Of course not, I said. And that's the point, he said. All I am is a tool maker. People use my tools to unlock doors and access rooms full of knowledge and wisdom and spirituality that already exist within them. I am just a toolmaker. Fast forward to last year. One afternoon, during the early stages of Sasha's dementia, sitting around the dining room table, I asked Sasha to repeat something that he had just said, and he said, oops, can't remember. I said, how does that feel, Sasha, to not have all that stuff running around in your brain anymore? Sasha said, it's very freeing. I am in shy amazement of the world in front of me that I haven't touched yet. Thank you, Sasha. Your heart and humility and generosity and playfulness have taught me to be a better person. I love you and I miss you, my friend. Does, does anyone need um, a summary of uh, who we are and what we do? Or Yes? Why oh. do you, you explain? Because you know better than I. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oops. Um, seriously? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> We've only got an hour. Um, this gentleman, uh, known as Sasha, uh, is, I think at present he's probably the world's top researcher in, um, the effect of psychedelic drugs on human beings. Most, uh, people who deal in this area, uh, are using the drugs or experimenting on animals. 
and um, well, there there is in in uh, this field a uh, a term uh, L A B. I think it is L A B. Right. L A B, which means lab experiments. L A B. Uh, it's, it's short for large animal biochemistry. Right, large, large animal being human beings. Yes. 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 <laughs> um, the the thing we've also uh, done at a certain point in the 80s, I think, uh, Sasha uh, published everything that he had uh, discovered and. Uh, that included uh, dosage levels and um, uh, their effects in humans, etc., etc. Uh, he was publishing in uh, Medis- the Journal of Medicinal Chemistry and other uh, scientific journals uh, who have peer review. But at a certain point, and I forget when, uh, when was it that the lawyers uh, for those journals got uh, cold feet? In the 1980s. The, uh, was, yeah. the legal advisors of various editors uh, of the various medical journals and pharmacological journals uh, were advising the editors not to let human experiments be published unless they were uh, had been approved by and for and, and had been overseen by a research advisory panel of some type. And so in our little research group, we decided to be a research advisory panel and advise ourselves as to how we should do things. <laughs> And uh, that that went along for about two or three years, and then that that was uh, felt to be uncomfortable. The journals are strictly a little bit uncomfortable publishing human data that did not come from known clinical uh, uh, sources. Well, everybody was getting cold feet. It was the the beginning of uh, the war on drugs in general, and uh, they they decided it was just too risky. Actually, our research group did include uh, the kind of people who are supposed to be included in. A what do you call it, advisory, advisory panel, panel. A, a psychiatrist and a, a Lawyer, psychologist. Psychologist. Lawyers, yeah, not too many lawyers. Uh, so anyway, th- that was the point at which um, uh, we began to think that the best thing to do was to put all this information, all this knowledge, um, into a different form, uh, one that uh, did not depend on peer review. And so we began writing the first book, which was PCAL. And, uh, and we very, very uh, cautiously uh, indicated that it was a fictional book. Yeah. So there'd be no, no uh, complications. The chemistry is not fictional. Well, maybe it is. No. no. Okay. <laughs> nope. But the, the rest of the story, you might say, uh, is... is uh, Non-fiction here and there, let's put it that way. Uh, but some of it is fictional. And as far as um, uh, the uh, authorities go, it most definitely is a fictional story. And as far as my children go, it certainly is fictional because there's a lot of sex in it. So, And parents, parents don't do that kind of thing. It's amazing what children don't know their parents do. <laughs> they don't want to know. Uh, children prefer not to know. So um, that was the beginning of the writing, and I was uh, doing uh, work as a lay therapist at that time, and I did that for about two and a half years, um, and that was incredible work uh, using MDMA before it became illegal 
And uh, let me tell you, MDMA is an extraordinary psychotherapeutic drug. Uh, and I'm so happy uh, to know that uh, various places around the world, it's now being used in what I think is going to be its most, uh, most important way, and that is dealing with PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. Especially for veterans of war, I think MDMA is going to save a lot of sanity. And anyway, uh, after MDMA became illegal and uh, uh, the idea of the book became more important, I, I quit the, uh, uh, the therapy, having learned a tremendous lot. And we began writing PCAL. Uh, we um, submitted the manuscript to uh, a very good friend who's a publisher. And uh, he sent it back saying, I wish I could, but it's too political. <laughs> uh, we understood, and we did not submit uh, the manuscript to anyone else. And we went ahead and uh, did our own publishing, and we have been delighted uh, to have done so ever since. And the second book is Tika. Oh, the first book, uh, Pikal, P-I-H-K-A-L, stands for Phenethylamines. I have known and loved. That was Sasha's idea. And the second book is Tryptamines, I have known and loved. And uh, people who don't know a thing about chemistry enjoy the first half of the book, which is the story. And those who are pure chemists ignore the first half and just go straight to the chemistry. And that's pretty much, uh, for the rest, you have to read the books. <laughs> Uh, that, that's sort of the best summary I could give. You got anything more? No, I think it's beautiful. Thank okay. You. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. <laughs>